Welcome, and thank you for tuning into Maryland's most notorious murders, where the most gruesome, the most notable, the most memorable homicide cases in Maryland are profiled. This season, child murders are examined. Tonight's episode, we focus on the murder of 16-month-old Javon Thompson. 21-year-old Rear Ramskin was scared. Single, alone, but full of faith in God. Rear was born in Trinidad, but moved to the United States and joined her mother, an American stepfather, when she was seven, and she settled in Brooklyn, New York. Extremely religious as a child, she experimented with Christianity for a while, but she gave it up because she couldn't understand the traditions of the churches. Her mother later reported that sometimes, out of frustration, she threw her Bible against the wall because she couldn't understand the teachings. And to make matters worse, she had lost all faith in her own church after her pastor had pled guilty to molesting young boys that were in his congregation. After she graduated high school, she met a boy and became pregnant on her 18th birthday by him. While she struggled to take care of a baby by working and going to school to become a pharmacy technician, her boyfriend, a boy by the name of Robert Thompson, he had already racked up some criminal charges and ended up in jail facing an attempted murder charge before his son was even born. Occasionally, Rhea would bring her son to the city jail to visit with his father every Friday, but he had already broken up with her before the kid was even born. In fact, the only times he laid eyes on his son was from behind bars. Eventually, Robert was acquitted of attempted murder and released, but never contacted Rhea or his son. At home, Rhea said her stepfather was an alcoholic, he was mean, he was prone to violence, and physically abusive to her. Once, he tried to choke her while she was pregnant. She struggled to take care of her son alone, and she constantly worried that he would be taken away because she couldn't provide for him. Because she hated being away from him so much, she felt lost, confused about life and religion, and her heart wasn't into anything else other than raising him 24-7. Shortly after her son was born, she met a friend, a girl by the name of Tiffany Smith, who was also a young mother. Tiffany was part of a cult, or an environment of a group of people who took care of and provided for her and her two young children, and she didn't have to work or do anything. All she had to do was follow their rules, their teachings, and she started telling Rhea about joining their cult. Because Rhea struggled to take care of her son alone, she was scared her mother would take him away, take him, take him away and because she wasn't stable or able to provide for him, perhaps out of desperation, she later told an article for the Associated Press that her exact words were, I had a really strong fear that Javon was going to get taken away from me if I didn't know what I was doing. That's kind of when I took things in my own hands. This cult would be the answer to all of her problems because she could be with her son all the time while someone else took care of both of them. So in April of 2006, she told her mother to drive her and her son to a park. She packed a bag with toys, clothes, and things that her son would need, but nothing for herself. Her mother dropped her off in this park, and it would be the last time she saw her grandson. After her mother pulled off, Rhea met up with the other cult members. 
All of them were more than twice her age, and they drove her to her home in Baltimore on Robinson Street. She stopped answering her cell phone. She cut off all communication with her mother, her friends. Her cell phone was eventually taken away by the cult leader. Her ID was destroyed, and although they took her shopping for new clothes, she or her son wasn't permitted doctor visits or allowed to go to work or school or parties or gatherings or anything. And she was ordered to keep to not keep in contact with anybody in her family and to stop even calling her family members by their own name. She was ordered to live in isolation and to not leave the house on her own permission. The name of this cult was Four Mind Ministries and they operated in a secret nomadic locations. The cult's leader, 40-year-old Queen Antoinette, also known as Tony Ellisbury or Tony Sloan, she commanded all of its members to dress in all white and to ignore basic teachings and beliefs like health care and education. This group never included more than 12 people, but they included Queen Antoinette, her boyfriend, tw- her uh, another person by the name of 21-year-old Marcus Cobbs, and the child's mother and girlfriend, 21-year-old Trevia Williams, calling all of the followers princes or princesses. She insisted that Rhea wear uniform in colors of white, tan, and light blue, colors that she considered that were royal. The only member that had a job out of the whole group was Queen's boyfriend, and he helped with rent and food. Rhea's friend Tiffany, the girl who had told her about the cult, she left the house but came back to get her two kids, but she left to get herself together first. On October the 6th, 2006, she came back to the house to get her kids, and they would not give her kids back, and eventually, the, the cult's member, Queen, Marcus, her boyfriend, Queen's boyfriend, and Trevia, they were all arrested and charged with hindering the police and investigation. All three were released on their own recognizance eventually and charged with, with charges that were pending in court. Ignoring these charges from there, a group moved to another row home on Austin Trolley Terrace that Stephen partially owned with a friend and they still took Tiffany's two kids with them. And that's where the group shacked up from October to January 2007. From the very beginning, Queen had issues with Rhea's son, Javon. She felt that he had a rebellious spirit and she was saying things out of the blue like, there's something wrong with that child. And one day, Javon just stopped saying his version of the word, amen, and that's what set her off. She commanded all of the cult's members that he shouldn't be fed nothing, not even water, until he said amen. Rhea, believing that her son was cursed and that Queen was the Almighty, listened and obeyed her. The members later testified in court that they all watched as Javon gradually moaned, grew thinner, smaller, lost his ability and energy to crawl, and eventually started spitting up a weird black liquid. Nobody, including his mother, did nothing. Stephen, Queen's boyfriend, later testified that he did put Rhea into his office. He closed the door and told her that nowhere 
absolutely nowhere in the Old Testament, New Testament, or any testament or Bible says that you should not feed a child because he doesn't say amen. He said that she cried and burst into tears, but she continued to listen and obey Queen Antoinette. She really, Rhea truly believed in her heart that her son had a rebellious spirit in his body and that by her starving him, she was removing that spirit, not actually killing him. In late December or early January, after going more than a week lifeless without food or water, Javon finally died in her arms. And after he died, the queen commanded Rhea to pray for his resurrection and nurture him back to life. Rhea obeyed and did the best she could by staying with his body for weeks, trying to give her dead son water, even dancing and singing for him to wake up. None of that worked in bringing the boy back to life. And after the members realized that he was dead and not coming back, Queen burned his clothes and his mattress and put his body in a green wheeled suitcase. She stuffed the suitcase with mothballs, fabric softness sheets, and occasionally sprayed it with Lysol to mask the smell. Once Javon died, her boyfriend finally got some common sense and decided to get low. He stopped paying rent at the apartment, and on January 30th, 2007, they were evicted from the home. On February 13th, 2007, her boyfriend rented a Chevrolet Impala, packed all of the members' stuff, including the suitcase that Javon's body was in, and drove them to Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where the group shacked up next at a Red Roof Inn. That's where he dropped them off, never to see any of them again until later testifying against all of them in court. Meanwhile, Rhea's mother, who hadn't seen her daughter or her grandson since she dropped them off at that park in April of 2006, was extremely worried about them both. She begged social, social workers, police, judges, the courts, and politicians to all get involved and help her break up this cult that had brainwashed her daughter. But she was always told that since Rhea had left on her own will and accord and her son had left with her, that there was nothing that she could do. Rhea's mother ignored this and sued for custody of Javon, but Rhea was nowhere to be found to be served court papers. Just months before Javon died, Rhea's mother had written to circuit court. Her exact words were, I fear for my, my grandson's and my daughter's safety. You see, they are in a cult, and I haven't seen or heard from my daughter since April. The group, when they're on in Philadelphia, all got evicted again from the Red Roof Inn, and during this eviction, Philadelphia police unknowingly actually handed them the same suitcase that had Javon's body in it, but they didn't suspect a thing. In Philadelphia, Queen started begging people again for places to stay, and eventually she convinced a 77-year-old man to allow them to stay in his apartment for a week and to keep their stuff in a shed that was behind his home. That's where the green suitcase that held Javon's remains were left until it was eventually discovered by detectives more than a year later. Still in Philly, the group went to Traveler's Aid looking for money and housing assistance, but the agency couldn't help them because neither of the members had ID with them, 
Philadelphia police got involved and got and removed two children that were with the group suspiciously. The two kids were later determined to be Tiffany's children, the group's, the cult's former member who had left. The group then relocated to Brooklyn, New York, where Queen again convinced, convinced another man into kicking his own wife and family out of their apartment and letting her and her followers move in. On February the 9th, 2008, Rhea's mother traveled from Brooklyn, New York to Baltimore in a desperate search to find her daughter and her grandson. She had received a call from social workers in New York who were trying to find Rhea and her grandson, and she needed to start where she had seen them last. Thinking that they both, both might be dead, she started with homicide detectives. On February 20th, 2008, Baltimore detectives also think foul play and think one or both might be dead after contacting and questioning the New York social workers. Two days later, on February 22nd, 2008, they met with Rhea's mother. On March 18th, 2008, I'm sorry, March 19th, 2008, Philadelphia police contact Baltimore detectives and question them about two children that they currently had in their custody and had been reported missing in Baltimore. The two kids were Tiffany's kids and Baltimore detectives traveled from Baltimore to Philadelphia to talk with the two kids to see if they had any information on Javon. Both other kids were able to give up information and they told the detectives what they knew and the detectives started looking for a body. On April 28, 2008, Baltimore detectives went to the elderly man's home where the suitcase was stored and finally located the body of 16-month-old Javon Thompson who was still inside the suitcase. He had finally been located 15 months after he died. On May 4, 2008, detectives traveled to Brooklyn, New York in a desperate search to try to find the cult members or at least Javon's mother. They had a touch of luck when three of the cult's members, Queen, Trevia, and Marcus, were all arrested for failure to appear in court for their earlier pending charges of hindering and obstructing police in Baltimore in 2006. Rhea wasn't with the group when they were arrested. She had went back to Baltimore. On May 19, 2008, Queen, Trevia, and Marcus were all held without bail on suspicion of Javon's death, and on August 9, 2008, Rear was finally found at a homeless shelter in Baltimore and arrested. Completely brainwashed and confused, Rear pled guilty to child abuse resulting in death. She was sentenced to five years of probation and a 20-year suspended sentence that included treatment in a residential inpatient treatment facility for young women. This facility also included proper Bible study and came with a weird stipulation. All of her convictions would be dropped, dismissed, and thrown out if Javon came back to life like she believed. Later, Rhea told in the Associated Press in an interview, her exact words were, it's like it's somebody else's life, but it's not that it's my life and those are the choices that I've made and those were the fears that I dealt with no matter how ridiculous they may be to someone else. None of that had to happen to him. He's in a house surrounded by people who are basically doing this to him. 
I felt like if anyone had a responsibility to him, then it was me, and I basically gave that up. So yeah, it's a difficult thing to die and to suffer in that kind of way. That's not easy to have to swallow. It's something that I'm very, very much responsible for as much as anyone else. Queen Trevia and Marcus all refused public defenders. They represented themselves like idiots at trial and maintained their innocence. Despite this, they were all convicted of first-degree murder and child abuse resulting in death. During her closing arguments, Queen actually argued, I didn't want them there. I felt as though I was supposed to help because they came to me. She eventually received a 50-year prison sentence. Trevia received a 25-year prison sentence. And Marcus received a 25-year prison sentence with all but 15 years suspended. At sentencing, the judge got into all three saying, you are the collector of people of souls, of lost souls, and in the name of religion, you have manipulated them. Still defiant to the end, Queen Antoinette yelled out, I have no remorse because I'm not guilty of what I've been accused of. The truth will eventually come out, however long it takes. Her boyfriend charges were formally dropped and dismissed. Wow. When I first heard about this case, I could not believe what I was hearing. A baby starved because he would not say amen. And then I heard about the religious aspect to it. I was literally just like blown away. I mean, I could almost relate a little bit. Not to the starvation part, but to being brainwashed or to believing that your child is going to be brought back to life or to believing that uh, you're removing an evil spirit if you do this, if you do that. I mean, I just could not. I was just literally just taken aback when I heard about this case. I mean, she seemed to be such a good mother and the details of it to me were gory to sit there and have your baby just starve in your arms like uh and the not and the defendants you know queen not or and also the other people that were charged with with that were charged with her not having an ounce of remorse i was just like i've never it this was just it was devastating to me to even to to read the details on it um i did reach out to uh ria uh, she did not uh, accept my invitation for an interview. I was not surprised. Who would not? Who would want to relive, it, relive this? This is probably something that she would want to put back uh, out of her mind forever and ever. Um, and I did apologize if this caused her any grief or anything like that. But um, sometimes you never know. Sometimes people want to talk about it, and they do want a chance to explain themselves and that was the opportunity that I offered to her but she declined that um I also was interested in the fact that uh the way she was found the way she was discovered I mean the way Javon was found and discovered was because two kids two kids actually informed the detectives of what they had seen um if that was great detective work. If the two kids hadn't, I mean, if the detectives had not interviewed the two kids and got their version of the story, this case probably would have had a different outcome and Javon probably never would have been found. Um, 
it's a shame she ended up in a homeless shelter when she basically was just looking for, uh, to me, an outlet or a way out. Um, but the fact that uh, she assisted in the starvation death of her son, regardless of whether or not she was brainwashed, was also a factor. But um, I still believe that she was... Uh, it's hard to say a, a decent mother, but I definitely didn't think that this was anything that she intended to do. I just believe she was completely and 100% fully, fully brainwashed in this case. And it, it just seems like these cult leaders just just prey on people that they know are weak and that they know are vulnerable and that they know are looking for something. You know, all she wanted to do was basically just take care of her son, be with her son. Um, she was a single parent, single mother. And they make all these rules, you know, you can't wear this, you can't contact your family. You know, we'll take care of you, but we'll do, you have to do this for us. Is it really worth it? I mean, is her mother seemed like she wasn't like she wanted to take her son away from her uh she just seemed like to me she like she just wanted to help i mean i don't know but i wasn't in her shoes i said i could relate a little bit because i did grow up um as a strict jehovah witness um they do believe in uh the resurrection they don't believe in starving your kids but you know i i can understand how she might have gotten the beliefs and the 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 things that are in the bible twisted or in a, and maybe took them in a literal way who knows but um like i said i remember this case clearly and this will always go down as one of uh, maryland's most notorious murders of child of children as the murder of 16 month old javon thompson this episode's unsolved homicide is the murder of Hezekiah Wilson. On Sunday, January 2nd, 2011, around 7.30 p.m., someone shot and killed an autistic man, 38-year-old Hezekiah Wilson. He had just let his dog Quincy out in a small fenced-in lawn in the front yard of his home in the 5600 block of Plymouth Road. Hezekiah, who was only wearing his robe and slippers when shot, was shot once in his shoulder. After he was shot, he collapsed on the front porch. 911 was called, and he was rushed to Good Samaritan Hospital, where he died that same night around 7.30 p.m. His older brother, a 15-year veteran of the Baltimore City Police Department, who had just talked to his brother less than 24 hours before he was killed, stated his concerns to the media. His exact words were, We've never had a family member of this family member of crime. Nothing this heinous, this evil, this violent. This was just done by somebody callous with an evil heart, evil intent, no respect for human life. He loved the Ravens and I will call him and we'll talk about the game after, every Sunday. We're not gonna do that anymore. Please let us know what's going on. My brother never hurt anybody. All he did was take care of my mother and he, he was taken from us for no reason. Whoever did this could do it to somebody in your family. 
Hezekiah had lived at the home with his diabetic sick mother, who he helped to take care of by cooking her meals and giving her medication. His brother said that he rarely even left the house and he had absolutely no enemies. Baltimore police have no motive for this murder, but they also do not believe that this rob that robbery was motive was a motive as he was only wearing a robe and slippers. Hezekiah was the third person killed in less than two days in Baltimore, which is the norm. The reason why this case needs to be solved is because the family of this autistic man needs justice. Who would shoot an autistic man and why? Especially one that rarely left the house, took care of his mother, was a good person, um, and was basically just letting his dog out. Uh, was this a case of mistaken identity? Uh, his mother and his brother deserve justice. If anyone has any information regarding this crime, please feel free to call Homicide Detectives at 410-396-2100, where you can remain anonymous. You can also send information via text or email. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Maryland's Most Notorious Murders. Please be sure to tune in next week, where another gruesome homicide in Maryland is examined and profiled. Thank you.